Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Merch Table was founded by artists just like you. We've slept on floors, played for everyone and no one, broken up, gotten back together, and taken everything we learned along the way to build a group of people who put creativity first so you can play while we work. Visit MerchTable.com to learn more about our merchandising and online store solutions. Hey, everybody. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. You are hanging out with 100 Words or Less, the podcast, and me specifically, Ray Harkins. I get to talk to people who are creating independent music, involved in it, have been affected by it, and just, you know, are in the general orbit of this beautiful punk, hardcore, indie rock, whatever you want to call it, scene. And today is the continuation of our themed month where we focus on the city of Seattle. Seattle is clearly an important part of our whole entire scene. A lot of amazing bands have come from there. And, uh, you know, you can dive back in the archives because I've got plenty of episodes with people who have been, you know, really, really uh, pivotal in the Seattle music scene, whether it's, uh, you know, John Pettibone, whether it's, uh, you know, guys from the Melvins, Buzz Osborne. Um, yeah, just, just dive back. But this month, it's all about Seattle. And today we have Ian Shelton, who is a, plays in a band called Regional Justice Center. He also plays in a band called Seattle's New Gods. He's, uh, you know, younger than me. So, uh, you know, kind of a, a different generation, as it were, which you'll hear in our discussion. It was, uh, it was pretty uh, enlightening for me because, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, I view as being kind of uh, the reality of my experience within the context of the scene up there. And then someone else being like, well, it kind of was like that, but there's a different take. Was, oh, oh, okay, great. So, uh, yeah, but Ian's band, Regional Justice Center, is on tour, uh, I think right now, if I'm not mistaken. But they also, their pre-orders for their Split 7-inch with Wound Man start next week. So, next week, pay attention. And the record will be out on April 16th. The band's awesome. If you are a fan of anything dirty hardcore, power violence, all that sort of stuff, it's really, really good. And it's very focused and poignant and, I don't know, just... I, it it actually reminded me a lot. There's a, there's a band called CR called Compassion Revolution, which is uh, you know it, it, kind of forgotten in the annals of uh, you know our hardcore history. But uh, that's what it reminds me of a lot because uh, there's there's a lot that this band has to say. So, anyways, Ian is up in a moment, but you need to subscribe to the show, whatever platform you listen to on, whether it's Stitcher, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple Podcasts, you know, follow, subscribe, do whatever it is you need to do because yeah, then that way you're not missing any episodes as they come across your respective players. And it just helps the show in general when we get subscribers. Okay. So please do that. And also tell your friends, you know, because there are a lot of people like I've been noticing more and more where the episode, you know, the new, new episodes get a lot of traction. A lot of people listen to them, and it's awesome, and I really appreciate that. But then I look at the, you know, entire back catalog, and I start to see the downloads. Like I'm like, dude, you know, like 
on a weekly basis, like 60% of the downloads that come in are from the back catalog. You know, when I say back catalog, like older episodes. And uh, it's awesome because that means people are really, really diving in and uh, listening to the, you know, almost seven years worth of content that I've been doing. So I really appreciate that. But spread the word where you can, okay? You also need to spread the word about rockabilia.com because they are the place where you can buy all of your band merch. Use the code PCJabberJaw that gets you 10% off your order. They have fast shipping, amazing customer service, so many items you can't even begin to do a deep dive into their entire offerings on their website. I've ordered from them repeatedly. I just love what they do. And they are, um, you know, an independent, independently run company. I just love that they do this, you know, for the love of the merch. That's as, as cheesy as that sounds, but it is the absolute truth. So Rockabilia, thank you for your continued support. Use the code PC Jabberjaw. It will get you 10% off. Okay, please. I leave on tour next week, so my brain is in like 7 million places. Uh, I'm on tour in Japan with Taken. And if you're in Japan, come say hi. Come drop by the show. I would love to have you. It would be great to uh, meet up with any of you who are listening to this podcast over in Japan, which I know there are some of you. But uh, we're doing about five shows in, I don't know, seven or eight days. It'll be exhausting, but it'll be super, super fun, and I can't wait to uh, do it and play some shows over there because Japan is, frankly, the coolest. It's uh, not only are the shows really, really good, the culture, the people, uh, everybody that kind of contributes to the independent music scene over there, it just really warms my heart because there are people who I've been working with over there for 10 plus years or putting out records, bringing bands over there, and it's just, uh, it's incredible. I love what they do as a community over there, so... Anyways, I can't wait. And a shout out to uh, Koba and Koki who uh, help us put these shows together. So love them very, very much. So Ian Shelton, like I said, he plays in Regional Justice Center. The band is awesome. You need to check them out. He came over and we uh, we really chopped it up. It was great. And for those of you who are familiar with the band and uh, kind of uh, you know understand the concept of the band, you know, a lot of their, uh, recorded output has to do with, uh, Ian's younger brother being put in jail and every piece of press that has been done on this band dives into intimate detail about, you know, how that happened, you know, how long he's been in prison, all that stuff. Frankly, I, uh, I wouldn't say glossed over it, but I definitely was like, you know what, that's already been covered. Anybody that is remotely interested in that can find that, you know, very easily online. So we spoke about it, but not, to the uh, in-depth way. So I don't want any of you being like, oh, dude, you didn't even talk about the most obvious thing. And it's like, well, yeah, I try not to talk about the most obvious thing. So anyways, that's that. Here's Ian, and I will talk to you after the show. So yeah, like I was saying to you before, you know, when you asked me like, why do you even want me on here? Like, why did you, why did you bring me on? Was the idea that we'd correspond in the past. Cause I know you do a lot of video work and like, that's been, you know, a big passion of yours for a while. And so like your name has come across my quote unquote desk more than once where it's like, 
oh yeah, like I need to know Ian now as opposed to like, oh yeah, like, you know, whatever. Like I know you play in a band. I know you do these things, but like, especially too, like once you've been participating in like punk and hardcore for a certain amount of time, it's like, oh yeah, like I feel like I need to know this person just because like they're hustling, they're active. And like, you know, as you get older within the context of like, you know, this scene, do you kind of notice that where it's like people, um, that you meet are like, Oh yes. Like there's a reason that we have met because either obviously we've played a decent amount of shows together or like your, your, I don't know you, but like your band has played a lot of the same venues. Like, do you kind of notice that happening? Yeah. I, I, I've noticed, uh, in recent years, just like circling people and circling people. And eventually it's like the right time and you, you meet and then either you like collaborate or do something. It like, it always amounts to something, you know, it's never like this. I've found so rarely that I meet someone and it like be like a, just a, a one-off thing. Like it it always circles back and then like, so it ends up being that like, it's like a, like a basket being woven together eventually. Right. That it's not some like, <clears throat> transactional relationship where it's like no you meet and you're like oh we have like we're both really passionate about this one thing and then like you latch onto the thing with that person and then eventually either leads it to creating something or you how just always it always amounts to something even if it's just like they eventually refer you to someone else or something and it leads to some opportunity like it always it always amounts to something for mm-hmm. sure <clears throat> right i think there is something the <clears throat> the hustle that exists within I mean, anytime you're doing, you know, freelance stuff or you're trying to like make your own way in the creative world, there's always a lot of that because everyone, you know, generally speaking, tries to help each other. Yeah. But then when you do have that added layer of like, oh, not only are you trying to help me because, you know, I'm a photographer or videographer or whatever, but then like if you're, you know, come from like the punk or hardcore world, then it's like that added layer of like, oh, dude, like we have the same sensibilities and the same, you know. Like it's not weird to talk about serial killers to you. Like, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Definitely. And I, I have that, like I almost have like, I don't have an, a physical note, but in my head I know like people that are more successful than myself in, in filmmaking. I know a handful of them that are into heart. Like I know which ones are like into hardcore and I'm like, all right, well if ever I meet this person, like the last thing I'm going to talk to them about is filmmaking, film, totally. anything. Cause that's, that's their job. They don't want to talk about it. So I'm going to talk to them about hardcore and then well, I'll be the hardcore guy to them. You know, it's like yeah. to have that, uh, cause I mean, anybody who's a fan of somebody wants to talk about what they do, but that's the, the thing last thing, yeah, that's yeah. the last thing that you want to talk about. Like yeah. it's, it ends up being the same shallow conversation constantly. I'm sure. So <laughs> give me, give me an example of some of those, those, uh, the, cause I know it's like Jeremy Saulnier, like the guy that does like green room. Yeah. 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 Like he's, a, he's, he's, uh, he's, Steven Soderbergh is a big guided by voices fan. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, and like guided by voices is something I can go deep on really, really deep on. Right. And so I'm like, if ever I meet Steven Soderbergh, like I'm going to talk his ear off about God. That's of Voices. Sick. Okay. Well, and he tried to make a God of my voices musical. He tried I to make, not know that. Uh, uh, it was, it was Hugh Jackman and Catherine Zeta, Catherine Zeta Jones starring in the story of Cleopatra as told through God of my Vo- pre-existing God of my voices songs. Holy crap. That uh, sounds insane. I heard about it because on, uh, the nerdist podcast, yeah, sure. Ben Gibbard went on and they somehow God of my voices got brought up and Chris Hardwick was like, Oh yeah, I was doing this, uh, 
inter- I was doing this musical, this guided by voices musical with Steven Soderbergh. And it's like, what the, what fuck? does like, that even make? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that dude, like James Gunn was a, the dude who did like yeah. guardians. Like he's a punk dude. Like, I, really? I have a, yeah. The dude that did Ant-Man and the Wasp also did like super chunk music videos. Like I generally wow. look into anybody that I have like a passing interest in. I'm like, all right, what's their, yeah, like, where did background? they come from? Yeah. And a lot of times it's like, uh, that's true. Hardcore. Cause it, 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 it is especially the idea of like getting your chops because you know, whatever, being a director, being a filmmaker, like no one just walks into a feature length film, like on their first project, obviously no. they're putting together, you know, 10 minute shorts, like music videos, that sort of stuff. Yeah. You got to be DIY, like to some degree, even if it's not directly related to punk, but you got to be DIY unless like there's the people that are just like rich and can do it right. or whatever. But I feel like that's not, I mean, I guess that's gotta be somewhat common, but I don't know. I don't know those people. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those, those are the people who are, you know, uh, graduate high school and then, then they attend, you know, UCLA film school or whatever. Like, you know, they just have like an endless amount of resources yeah. to if be able to If you're a that. Coppola, you can get, you can get a film made. Right. You're, <laughs> that's true. You've got the, you've got the last name cosign that you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. But no, that's cool. I like, I like that, that notion of the, um, the, the circling idea. Cause I mean that it's something that makes sense. I just never really thought about it. Like the, the circling notion because I do, um, you know, I think like the, you know, the older that people get, and especially with such a, uh, youth oriented movement where it's like, you know, ostensibly once you're mid twenties, you're supposed to be kind of start tapping out, you know, like yeah. real life gets in the way and, you know, jobs or whatever else. But like, people that stick with it either because they have no other choice. Like that's, you know, that's just part of who they are or that are committed to it. Or it's just like, yes, like this is, uh, this is something I have to do regardless of whatever else that I have to do with my real world life. Um, and I think that pulling on those connective tissues, um, I guess in a way, like it makes those relationships even more strong than the ones that like you just randomly get because you're thrown together at work or school or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I was actually just listening to the Pat Flynn podcast on the way over because it just got posted. So it I was did, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys kind of talked about that same thing. It's just like you have someone, like you have more in common with somebody that you've at least been doing the same activity with for like ten plus years than you do like some ran- random ass coworker or whatever, you know? Right, right. Which is something that always feels nice, you know, you, as you you're like, Oh, like this person I never met and you could just instantly dive in and be so deep on a topic. And right. I, I try my best to do that with everyone I meet, but obviously there's not a ton to have in common with, uh, with most people. Right. Totally. And, and to be able to dive into the many important things that like, you know, we have coming up in the community that we do where it's just like, you know, you're not supposed to talk about politics with people. You're not supposed to talk about religion with people, um, you know, initially, but it's yeah. like, we, we, you know, you and I could probably have a discussion. Yeah, hardcore does it right, right off it, the bat. It's like, you're just like, well, yeah, yeah, what do you believe? It's like, oh, you're Christian. Okay. Well, I don't believe in God. And it's like, okay. Like you'll yeah. both be able to exist without immediately like attacking each other. To be just like, oh yeah, you're drawn to this weirdo subculture. So yeah. At the same time though, it's, it is kind of that I feel like maybe Christianity is a thing that people have the taunts for, but you can, you can't walk in and be like, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm right wing. I'm a Donald Trump supporter. You know, like that, that's, that's the true. one thing that you can't do. So it's not no. quite as open as, as like we could talk about anything. It's that's like, true. That's true. You gotta, you pass an entry exam or something, you know, like you do. Well, cause you, I think because of your involvement in the thing, 
precludes you from probably being that type of person, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. being attracted. You would assume, I mean, I know that there, I, <laughs> I know, I know, but whatever. It's like, you know, people always look at where it's just like, you know, whatever. Cause I think, I mean, I've had him on the show, but it's like, you know, Dave Smalley from like, you know, there's, there's, yeah. there's people who are, who are very, you know, either libertarian or right wing and you don't, um, I didn't engage with him on the, on a political discussion because yeah, I knew that's best, best not to. Right. Exactly. Cause it's like, I w- like uh, there's not anything, uh, that I would probably, we wouldn't walk away feeling like good about that conversation in general. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but I do think that there is that element of just like, Oh, if you've already, you've already passed this bar, you're into this weird thing. Like you're probably not that thing. I, I remember when I got into DYS and then it's like, I was really into DYS and all of a sudden I was like, you know, that guy's right wing and like <laughs> yeah. Jerry only and like all these fools are like, I'm like, all right, cool. Record still rips. Though. Right, right. Yeah, you're like, well, okay. Well, I, I can at least, uh, yeah, I can at least enjoy the music from that perspective. Yeah, I just, like, well, this is, I mean, I don't think that's what he's singing about here. So no, yeah, he's talking about Wolfpack, man. Like, even I, then, I've, I, I probably enjoy some, some way shakier stuff. Sure. Than, well, it's <laughs> than like DYS. That's like that's like I, I remember working at a uh, a record store here in Orange County, and it was like there uh, it was in Huntington Beach, and so there was a huge, you know, white supremacist contingent. Like, it, it just as far as like you know, people that were, uh, you know, looking for white power music and stuff like that, like screwdriver, you know, it's yeah. like the, the most infamous band within that. And it, the joke would always be within the context of our record store where it was just like, Oh yeah. Like screwdriver is terrible. First record kind of rips though. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like musically it's pretty good. Like you can see some of the elements and it's just always like, no matter what you can always find the, you know, the, the, oh, the, de- the demo was pretty cool, but then they got terrible at the yeah, end or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, Screwdriver is a really interesting example too, considering the fact that it's not even in the fabric of the first record and nope. then fool goes on to do the band by himself <laughs> and be racist. So it's like, totally by all means you should be able to, yeah, the enjoy, first record, to partake. Right, you know? right, right. No, totally. Um, but I didn't say that, you know, no, 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 no comment. No, no comment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, not allowed to say those things. Um, Okay, sort of turning the focus on you individually. Uh, were you born in the Pacific Northwest in like the Seattle area, or where did you come up? No, I was. Uh, I was born in Martinez, California. I don't even. Where the hell is Martinez? California? It's, it's the East Bay. Oh, okay. Uh, I I grew up for the most part in Concord, California, until I was like thirteen. Got it. And then my family moved to Enumclaw, Washington. Okay, which is a town famous for one thing, and that is uh, the death. Uh, with Mr. Hands, the uh, that video where the guy dies by getting fucked in the ass by a horse. Wow. Okay. That is my town. That is your town. The so, guy was from Gig Harbor, different town. Yeah. But it it happened. I guess there was a world renowned like uh, bestiality farm in our town, and that was like right after we moved to Enumclaw. Like this happened, and uh, <laughs> so everyone was like, "Oh yeah, you're from that. You're yeah, from the yeah, bestiality well, town." And then every, everywhere, every like time, like around that, I'd be like, "I'm from Enumclaw," and so I'd be like, "Oh, the like the horse fucking town." Wow. Um, I don't know. I I've, I am. You've like, never heard of this. I literally have never heard of this. It's wow. crazy. Yeah, I, I say it. To, I think it's a lot of people my age that were like. I've never watched the video. I refuse to watch the video, yeah. but um, a lot of people I know have watched the video. Sure. And uh, I think it was like a certain internet culture, like age, like people around my age would watch like, what is it? Like E fucked or like just stuff oh, like sure. that. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. where you're at that like middle school, early high school age and you're right. looking to see the most subversive, weird the stuff. The most pop. insane yeah. thing you can see. So I say it to some people like, Oh shit. Oh dude, I remember thing. that. Like, yeah. 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 Uh, and so that's Yeah. Okay. That's, that's uh yeah, that's, that's something I, I won't look up now at this point. Yeah. But, don't watch uh, it. Don't watch it. Mr. No. Hands though. For Mr. Hands. For okay. The audience members got it. Got it. it. And so, so that, so you were 13 when you moved up there. 13. Yeah. And, and this like, uh, 
I'd already like started getting into punk before moving. Okay. Uh, but then like I was really isolated, like in Enumclaw, Washington. Like, Cause how, like, I mean, how big is that town? I looked up the population recently out of like a research. That's like 40,000 people or something like that. Okay. Like, it's like three miles long with some like dense like neighborhood. You know, there's like, sure, and then, like sure. a lot of country surrounding. Okay. Um, so just small, small town. And that must've been really tough for you because I mean, 13 years old, like that's like, that's a rough age in general, but yeah. like moving from a place that you probably like, did you enjoy living in California? Yeah. I love California. I always, it was really funny. Cause I was, I was like, I'm going to move back to Concord, California. Cause I always thought, you know, like the, those relationships would be the relationships that I would like always have like my friendships at that time, which obviously doesn't play out as you go through high school. Sure. But, um, yeah, I loved it. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, that was an exceptionally hard time. Cause like, my family was trying to basically run from itself to like my parents trying to save their marriage and like all of these things to, to then move to the Northwest where they thought they would suddenly be better human beings. But you know, like it doesn't play out like that. There's only, there's only so far that you can run from your own problems. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so they were trying to completely change up. And, uh, so like everything was like hard around that time, but I mean, just like, yeah. Makes it easier to get re- really into uh aggressive extreme music. Of course. <laughs> you got to you got to be angsty and you got to put you got to channel those uh those frustrations exactly, into something. Exactly. And so your your family makeup was you your younger brother. Do you have any other siblings? Yeah, I have two younger brothers. They're So you're the oldest. I'm the oldest. Yeah. The trailblazer. Uh they're 6 and 8 years younger than me. So the, and they're half brothers. Uh Got it. Okay. And so we have a different dad, but their dad was in my life since I was four. And so like, he's, he's my dad. He's your dad. Yeah. He's been there. Uh, yeah. And then, so it was my stepdad, my mom, and then my two little brothers and I got it. Got it. Um, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of kiddos running around the house. Yeah. Yeah. A couple few, they, they had, they shared a room. I had my own room. It was, was yeah, you're you're like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm I'm unaffected. (laughs) Um, and so then as you were kind of, uh, you know, whatever, becoming yourself and having an identity on your own and everything like that. You know, what kind of kid did you find yourself being as you were, you know, getting into punk and being isolated from a lot of the, the, the things that you were comfortable with? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I have like the self-awareness to like fully answer that, Sure, but, uh, I definitely, I've, I've realized now cause I don't, I didn't like keep any friends from like high school. Really. I've one friend, uh, K10 who like I've, stayed friends with throughout that. But I was like, Oh, like, I guess I'd never really like made friends when I moved, you know? Like, sure. Sure. Like, uh, like I didn't settle into this. I never, yeah. I was like, damn, I never like settled in. And I was always, I guess like kind of more of like a girlfriend guy. And I think I kind of like tried to like harbor like, like one or two really close relationships and then just like surround myself with like bands. Sure. Like, so I just would always like start Like I've played in bands now since I was 12 years old. Right. Like constantly. Has, you it, know? has it always been drums or were you doing? No, no. I, I got my first drum set when I was like 14. I, I originally like played bass, which is like, yeah, I feel like it's really pointless. It's, it's a very, uh, well, I mean it, you either, you either have a friend that plays guitar and switches to bass because you already have too many guitarists yeah. <laughs> or because there's very few people that have like, dude, you know what I want to rock? Just like the bass, man. Yeah, it's like, like my why dream. Why would you do that? Like it's, you can't even, like you can't just write a song on bass really. No. Like I do it, I do it as an exercise when I'm like, Oh, I want to write a song that has way more notes. I'm going to play, I'm going to learn it on bass and then try to play it on guitar. Sure. But 
what else there's no it's like not a melodic instrument no <laughs> like, totally like you gotta really love single notes to right. be able to you either be a are bass like, player totally you either like get obsessed with Les Claypool and you know I, which like I was fleet. I tried to do that I was like oh Jaco Pistorius I'm like 13 like like Jaco uh-huh. Pistorius and sure yeah why you're like, why would anybody do that totally dude it's it, you get because i mean especially when you're that age whatever you know 11 12 13 14 like you you kind of get obsessed with people that are that are really good at the thing you know yeah. whatever it is you're, you're like oh dude was the best bass player and then you're just like oh my gosh this guy shreds or whatever yeah i'm like and, frank i love frank zappa, zappa. like <laughs> so good i like love at 13 that. years old why did i why was i listening to frank zappa that makes no sense zero sense especially <laughs> especially because most of the time it's you're listening to it like completely devoid of context. You're just listening to it because you're just like, Oh, it's two shreds or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, I still have no, I couldn't tell you a Frank Zappa song right now. No man. But like he's got, I mean, clearly has a million records and has impacted a lot of people in a very visceral I, way. I'm gonna, I, I didn't thought about Frank Zappa in a long time. I'm going to probably listen to it when I leave here. Right. right. Just that just, and I'll turn on my, my Jocko records. You yeah, know? That's, <laughs> that's perfect. Um, so it was, it was the, the lineage was, was bass and then he started messing around with the guitar and then drums a little bit later. Uh, no, no, no. Just guitar bass. was like kind of like last year, really. Like, oh, okay. Like, like last year, the year before, as far as like really like I could play power chords and whatnot, sure. but like, um, but yeah, I got, I got drums. I got drums to sing and play drums in a power violence band that I was doing with my friend Max Boleyn at the time. And, and you were like 14, 15. Yeah, I, was, I think I think it was my 14th birthday that I got the drums. That's pretty that's pretty advanced for power violence. I mean like it seems so young to me. I got into it when I was really young, so I, I feel like to it, me it seems like a really young person. It is really. I mean, I think mo I mean granted of course now you can, you know, point to the internet and everybody can be, you know, 9 years old and figuring out about spaz for the first time, but like you know, I think it, it takes a certain, um, you know, a certain capacity to like understand, like, you know, you can't devoid of context, like putting on Charles Bronson or whatever. Most people just be like, what the hell is this? Like, especially yeah. when you're, you know, that young, but like, obviously you were able to wrap your head around it. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, it was just a, a natural progression. Like my, my route into hardcore was really funny. Cause I loved like, like the addicts was probably like one of my first, like, okay. like, like loves of punk music. Sure. I love the addicts. Um, and then like I got into the casualties and like the like modern street punk, of course, global threat, all that. Totally. And then I was the like pun- the punk core record yeah. scene. But then I, I got really into crust at like, at like 13, 14. Like I was really into, like I had, I had a, I would burn CDs. Yep. It's really funny. Cause I never, I would have all these CDs and I would listen to them like once or twice each, but I'd never, I couldn't tell you the songs. Like right. it was more about the exercise of researching and like knowing it. Okay. So, you know, I had like, Amoebics and I had like all this like I had a ton of crust records and then sure. my friend uh Max who I went on to do the power rounds band with he was like go to my MySpace profile right now and listen to this Charles Bronson song and that was like the life-changing moment and then he showed me Infest and he showed me like and they showed me Ceremony which was coming out at the yes. same time and I was like okay this is like the aggression like with less of the uh like, yeah, I guess I had the more of the production figured out and stuff, you know, well, so of like, course. And, and, and they existed when you were exactly. And then he took me to a ceremony show and that was like, right. Huge, huge deal. But yeah, it's no, I really, but I, I really like you playing that out because I think that it's, it's so important for, you know, the developmental stages of like you getting into music where it's like, if you listen to the bands that, you know, predated you by whatever, 10 to 15 to sometimes 20 years and kind of understand that context of it or not even understand the context, but just understand like, Oh, viscerally, this is what I like musically about it. 
and then to have a band that mimics that stuff yeah. that exists and you're like, you can reach out and touch them like that. That's to me, that's the nail in the coffin of what puts most people into the scene for years and years and years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely like a sturdy understanding, like helps you appreciate things. Uh, I mean, it's so weird. I feel like this current like stage in hardcore is like a lot of people that don't know anything about punk or they're, or they're getting into punk through being like modern hardcore kids. And I, right. Which I respect, like everyone has their own journey, but it's just like, I don't even understand what you like about this because you don't know anything that predates it, you know, like, sure. Uh, cause I definitely would like things less if I didn't have that same route or maybe I would have gone on to something else cause I would have not had like appreciated or like felt there was as much to sink my teeth into, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So where, yeah, where you can listen to, you know, a band like, you know, dead Kennedy's and then you can understand why, you know, ceremony covers that. Like yeah, yeah. You, you're able to see those and it's great obviously too, when bands are able to, you know, point like, Hey, like you may be into us, but like clearly there's a lot of stuff that yeah, happened yeah. before yeah, us. Yeah, I important. mean, covers were the the coolest, coolest thing possible. Totally. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I I saw which this is I, I think it's Orange County shit. The the first like show I went to that wasn't like a concert. Concert was the Attics. Okay. When I was in like eighth grade, I think. Okay. And uh, this band called the Diffs opened. Okay. And I think they're an Orange County band. They seem really Orange County. Sure. But they covered the Germs, and then I I got really into the Germs after That's that. Great. You know, like. I didn't know the germs and then they covered them and I was like, then I became obsessed with Darby Crash, which is obviously like yeah. the the lamest thing. Which, yeah, we, I, I mean, it, it, you get, uh, you know, same way as like when you start listening to Sex Pistols and you get, you know, obsessed with Sid Vicious or whatever. Yeah. Like, everyone's going to. Like, you get upset, like, as a young kid, like, you want to be like the nihilist or whatever, you right. know, where it is like, to me, is really lame. Like, nihilism, of course, has, is not interesting to me. But that time I was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking cut myself and I'm going to be like this wild punk rocker as I'm like in eighth grade. Like, of course, just I've got no cares in the world whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I do have cares because I'm having to go to school. I do all these things that my parents tell me to do. It sucks. And like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause you have no, um, you have no agency in anything of what you're doing. No, no, not at all. And so you have to feel like investing yourself into this thing that is so, um, yeah, nihilistic. It's like, Oh, I can't control this because I don't care about anything. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it seems so middle. It seems middle school now, which is funny. Cause at the time you're like, this seems so adult and punk. It does. Yeah. Because <laughs> here's this, you know, this person who you feel has the keys to the kingdom is, you know, like probably whatever, maybe 10 years older than you, you know, like is, yeah. but it feels like you're like, Oh my gosh, in those 10 years, they have so much more life experience than I do. Yeah. And it's like, well, and at that time too, I, I remember, which this is like a really weird thing to think about. I remember thinking like, I don't want to live past 21. Like, right. like, cause that's the, that's what like Darby said or whatever. I don't remember exactly yeah, the age or yeah, yeah. But and I was like, yeah, like it seems like pointless to live past that point. And it's just like, what? Like, yeah, it's well, the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever totally. heard in my life. Like, m- my life gets better constantly. You know, right? Like, there are so many things to look forward to, regardless of your age. Like, yeah. you, you know, people that are thirty five can be like, oh man, like yeah, life's tough. And then, but then there's also so many positive things. Where you're just like, oh yeah, I can stick around a little bit longer and see like all the other cool things that yeah. are happening in a world where everyone is confined to their homes. Society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, 
I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Then a really interesting thing to think about, which this like completely ties into RJC, was my brother, my little brother Max, yep. heard me say that, and then he parroted it. He like he said it as well, and then they put him on depression meds. Interesting, but you were not you were unaffected by that. I mean, like you, you they didn't, they never. My parents never heard me say it. You know, got like it. okay. Um, but I but I remember that now that 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 was yeah. like a thing is that they put him on on meds because he, because he was saying those because things. he was saying he didn't want to live past the age of 21 or whatever because he heard me say it sure which is like fucked up like yeah exactly there's no way he actually felt that way no you know? he was just like oh my older brother who i look up to like he's the guy saying that so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah so if he's gonna die i'll die too you know right totally yeah, yeah. there's no there's no way like he's, yeah. yeah if he's not gonna be here then i'm of course gonna have an exit plan yeah yeah that's wild it's very it, bizarre to think about now and especially because i mean he had to have been like 10 I was about or to say, eight like, or 10 years old and they're putting them on depression meds like which right. then factors into anything else that we could talk about with our rjc really right exactly yeah. yeah yeah um and so then the uh you know sort of on that topic but tangentially related i think um something i've always uh you know what attracted me to regional justice center to begin with not only because musically it was um everything that i personally like as far as you know aggressive music and power violence all that sort of stuff but the fact that it's um and this is something that I relate to you where it's the most recent release that I did of my band taken, like was talking all about my wife's cancer. Mm -hmm. And so it was like this really obviously personal journey, this uh, experience that was not happening to me, but is happening to a person who obviously I'm really close to. And so like, you know, almost every interview and every um, piece of the band that you put out there, I, it was, it was one of those things where I was just like, Oh gosh, like, you know, I identify with everything of what you're going through because even though it's not happening directly to you, it's happening to a person you like love dearly. And I wondered as you were starting to kind of formulate the project to begin with, was there ever elements in your head of just like, this feels, um, you know, I'm I'm using these words to be, you know, incendiary, but it's just like the idea of it being, you know, exploitative, not saying that like, you're like, Oh dude, I'm trying to cash in my brother's like, you know, incrimination or whatever. Um, but like, were those thoughts that you kind of had in your head? Yeah. I still have them all the time, honestly. Uh, and I wrote about it on the record to be like as self, referential as possible really you know it's like and that and literally the line in this we have a song called exploitation on the record which is literally about the concept of the band and it it um the line is it happened to you but it happened near me like and that that's basically it it's like uh it's such a crazy thing of the the difference of what's happening to you and what happens to someone else is you know someone else's life is happening to you at the same time and right um and all because either they're not choosing to articulate something or 
whatnot doesn't necessarily mean that it should shouldn't be touched, you know. And which there's obviously lines like that, like don't exploit. You know, uh, there's some things like I'm not going to speak on racial issues or whatever because that's not my place. I'll speak about it from a place of white privilege where I'll like address it as like, oh, this was my own like journey with the the concept of racism or whatever, you know, but I would never be like, oh, let's try to like assume someone else's perspective on it. And I try to be, make that very clear with RJC is like, this is from my perspective of everything surrounding my brother's incarceration is like, you know, it's my experience of having to dish out a bunch of money to secure his technologies. And it's my experience of just wanting better for my brother's life and, whatnot you know it's just that that kind of back and forth and I, and I think about it often and I've been trying to get him more and more involved in the collaborative nature of the band so that way it's less so of that you know a lot of I give money to him regularly from our band fund and whatnot you know I try to make it very right um, right very much like he's a, a member that gets paid out you know if we're getting paid he gets paid you know yeah yeah and um you know I try to ease my own ideas about it being exploitative I'm sure there's people that might think otherwise and think it's lame that we do the band and right. it's about this, but yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It's a constantly on my mind, but yeah. I don't know that there's no, like, uh, there's no like go- a way around it. No, for it sure. It is what it is. Right. And, and you, you know, all art obviously comes from a place and when you can directly cement, uh, you know, an experience and then be able to articulate it, you know, alongside somebody, that you are, you know, writing about and you're, like you said, you're writing about this experience of this system that, you know, clearly, you know, people have been critical of it for 50, 60, 70 years, if not longer. And so it's, it's like the, the voice that you're contributing is a, another uh, brick in this already, you know, very, very established wall of all it is now is just being able to speak to this other direct experience for it. Um, as opposed to something where you're just like, well, yeah, like obviously I started a hardcore band because of this like really bad experience that happened to my family or whatever. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's not even like, I feel like it's difficult cause I wouldn't consider the, the band itself to be like critical of the prison system. Cause it's actually not in the content of the lyrics at all. Sure. Sure. It actually ends up being more so in the PR aspect of the band of talking about it, because I do think it's important to talk about, um, in the way of just making people aware of like what entities are profiting off of the, like the for-profit prison system, you know? And so it's not like there's not a single mention of like the fucking phone lines or anything yeah, you know, on yeah, the record yeah. that the, the songs are completely personal in nature, you know? Yep. And not, um, they're not about the prison system at all. It's, and going forward now, actually on our new record that we're working on, my little brother wrote lyrics for it. And, uh, and that's just, you know, like, and that's still the closest we're going to get. He, and he's not even singing about prison at all. Right. Um, so it's just like, you know, it's, yeah. it's in the fabric, but it's not the, the like nature of the band is right. Like, right. Criticism, it's, which I think we get like, stuck it's, with, it's like, it's a criticism. It's a criticism, you know, which like, isn't necessarily something that I, I see ab- like about ourselves, you know? Right. Like that's, that wasn't the, uh, intention that you put out there, but you, I mean, as you've mentioned before in other interviews, like, you know, once you put your art out there, like, you know, people are going to interpret it as yeah. they see fit. And I respect that. Totally. And so if people are like, this is a criticism, I'm like, all right, cool. But <laughs> right. Exactly. That wasn't exactly what I was going for, yeah. but like, you know, okay, so be yeah. it. If that's our legacy, then that's the, not a terrible one. Right. Exactly. I just don't want to have the, the like, uh, the legacy of like a didactic hardcore band of it being like, this is what you should think about the prison system and whatnot. And 
Sure. You know, cause that's just not what I'm interested in. Right. Exactly. Like here, here's, here's your 10 point essay on how to take apart the prison system. Or yeah. Whatever. yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's no, no slogans. That that's probably the most important thing. This is a no slogans band. Like, like, right. Uh, if anything, like it only gets worse is the closest to a slogan that we have. You sure. Know? Like, uh, yeah. Like not, not, uh, definitely nothing that we're trying to get you to take away specifically. Sure, sure, sure. That the agenda is this and like, it's yeah, you, yeah. We're, we're a vegan straight edge band here. Here's your pamphlet at the door. Yeah, and no pamphlets. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Saying. No pamphlets. That's good. Um, so as you were, you know, as you were playing in all of these bands and, you know, being active in, you know, what I presume was like not a very active music scene town. Like, were there, I mean, there were shows occasionally in, in Seattle. Well, I mean, because well, well, I guess, so the city that you lived in, that was how far outside of Seattle? Oh, Enumclaw. Yeah, Enumclaw, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Enumclaw was about an hour away from Seattle and about an hour away from Tacoma, kind of equidistant. Got it. So basically, like, as you started to go to more, I guess, independent DIY shows and stuff like that, were you driving into Seattle and Tacoma and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would go to um, Seattle and Tacoma for shows all the time. Uh and there wasn't, it was like a very de- divisive time in the Northwest when I started coming up. Uh, there was this thing called the NW Hardcore Board, okay. which was like the most toxic, like terrible message board culture in general was really I, bad around that time. I think I vaguely remember that. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously the Bridge Nine Board was, was kind of a, a garbage fire in many different yeah, ways. Yeah. And so this was, this was that same thing, but less bro y. Like, cause oh, I feel okay. like, I feel like B9 was like post girls nudes or some shit. Absolutely. You know? Um, where this was just literally just about being mean spirited about hardcore. Got it. And, or as personal, cause everyone knew each other in real life, you know? So, or like being really overly personally, like aggressive. At yeah. People. Airing everybody's dirty laundry. Yeah. 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 And so this was like that. And, um, and people acted like there was, so there was like Olympia, Tacoma and Seattle. Right. And at that time, like each place thought they had enough to sustain their own scene. Sure. And they didn't No, no um, way. Um, especially Olympia. It's like, I mean, no. Olympia, it's like, I like that you chuckle a little bit in the Olympia thing. Cause I've, I've laughed at them for a long time because it's, I mean, it's like the, <laughs> the, the Olympia idea where it's just like, well, yes, Olympia is obviously the birthplace for riot girl and everything that amazing that happened from that. But it's like to be its own self-sustaining scene, it pulled from everybody in that general area as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. And, and so, but we were being from small town, being from a small town, it's just like, we, uh, we didn't know that at first. And so we just went to everybody. Shows. Right. You we can went to go, every yeah. show we were interested in. That's and, so good. Uh, and it's so interesting now thinking back on like the ways who would overlap and, and everything and who's around and who's not around from when I initially went, it's like really crazy. But yeah. yeah, we just went to every show we could, you know, like Seattle got the big show still Tacoma didn't have the viaduct yet, but it was like close and to hell's that. hell's kitchen. I remember that place. That was, yeah, I played hell's kitchen once and <sighs> it was not, not good, but, no, was, uh, was, but was, that was like the tail end of my, uh, being aware of punk, being involved in punk, but not going to shows yet. Like right. was, that was like the end of the hell's kitchen yep. era. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that was, shit was terrible. Yeah. That, I only played there once, but it was definitely just like, you know, I'd heard about it for years and years and years. And then going up there, I was just like, Oh, how's this hell's kitchen? It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Random. But yeah, I, the, the the reflection that I always had about I me mean, coming from Southern California and looking at the, you know, whatever greater Pacific Northwest scene, it was always so interesting to me because everything was in the shadow of, you know, the explosion of grunge mm-hmm. where it was like, 
you had all these bands that uh, you had you had all these spaces to play. Um, f- you know, over the years, from you know, I'm trying to think of all the places that you know I randomly played up in the Seattle area, but it was just like there were always really unconventional spaces. It was either like West Seattle Legion and, Hall, right, or just yeah. like yeah, VFW Hall, or like you know, Studio Seven, like all these places that. Um, you know, like they were all nice in their own respects, but it was just like studio seven and hell's kitchen are not, nice. no, <laughs> but, but it was like, but it just, it was the idea of like having these unconventional spaces in weird places. And I guess every city has that because it's yeah. like, you know, you look at chain reaction here in Southern California and most people are like, what? Like it's just a random strip mall. It's like, yep, exactly. But it exists and it's amazing. Um, but it just always, it always seemed to me where it's just like, you know, bands, uh, there was always this connective tissue where it was just like, Oh, if like, you know, John Pettibone said like, you know, you were cool, then like, you know, you could play all these shows for this, you know, five year period. And then like, yeah, yeah. you know, if like if champion said you were cool, then like, you know, the, like the, the general acceptance would sort of happen from that perspective. Um, and it just, you know, it, it seemed to me that there were, even though like you were experiencing these divided scenes or whatever, there was always this, this, uh, unifying theme throughout it all. I don't know if that's, if I'm just looking, no, I mean, I, I think it. you're talking about just the era right before I came up. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Which like maybe my era is the fallout, you the know, fallout. Like, sure. No, that, like, or, you know, I, I came up when it just, I don't, they, there was no unity. Got it. Like that was, so who, so who, who would you say like the, I guess I'm not, I'm not asking you to use names because it's like airing people out, but just like the factions of where it's just like, you know, cause usually it's like, you know, a band or two that kind of controls the sort of, I mean, it was literally just Olympia, Tacoma, Seattle. Like that okay. was everything. I, and it's really funny cause looking back at it, I don't think that Seattle even thought of itself as its own thing. It's just like, literally if you live in Seattle, there's no reason to leave Seattle. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the traffic's <laughs> bad enough where it really sucks to leave <laughs> to leave. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so it's really funny cause I really do think that like, Olympia and Tacoma were like Olympia, Tacoma, Seattle, like competition, like in Seattle was kind of like, what are you guys saying? Yeah, yeah. we're fine. We're we're hanging out over here. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's just like this thing, like there was a legitimate bros, which was like, uh, shook ones and go it alone. I think was, that, yeah, but yeah, sure. like that was like Vancouver. If there was any unity, it was Vancouver and Seattle. That's true. Stay gold. I mean, I know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was still like all the Vancouver bands were kind of breaking up as as I was coming up. Like, got it. I remember seeing the flyer for like the last In Stride show, like right oh, after sure. I went to my first hardcore shows. Right. And um, and that was kind of like that was the unity. Whereas there was not the unity in got other it. places. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. It just. That was the that was the era, I guess. Sure. People, and all the other thing, people really th- found there to be a huge divide between punk and hardcore. Yeah. And that's always been the lamest shit to me. It's like totally. It, it would be more enriching if we just stole from everything, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, if you if you there's always going to be that delineation no matter what scene. Cause like you're always going to have kids that are just specifically hardcore kids and specifically punk kids, like, you know, never the two shall meet or whatever, yeah. like, or, or just being able to go to different shows, you know? And like, when I say being allowed to, it's just like, <laughs> there's no one like looking at the door being like, Oh, you're not allowed in here. But just that idea of like, Oh yes, yeah, so you can go to a, you know, whatever, you know, a mid nineties, you know, emo show. And then obviously go to like a sick of it all show. It's like, of course you can go to yeah. both of those, but yeah, there is that, that weird and will always be that dividing line of like, oh yeah, like I'm a punk kid or a hardcore kid. And it's like, you don't need to be one or the other. Like no. you can refer to yourself as a hardcore kid, but like you're more than welcome to obviously like rudimentary peni as well. Like, and guarantee you write better hardcore songs if you know it all. It's true. Absolutely. If you're, if you're pulling from all these different uh, influences, especially from a creative perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you if you only pull from eighties hardcore and you do an eighties hardcore band, there's no reason for that eighties hardcore band to exist. <laughs> totally. Yeah, you're just you're it's pointless. Yeah, yeah, you're really just you're you're mixing in the same gene pool. And that's like yeah, you're just gonna get cousins marrying cousins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to say is like like uh, <laughs> if you make a style of hardcore, it's only influenced by that style of hardcore. Like that's in, that's inbreeding. Like you are making mutants. <laughs> like, totally, totally. And I mean, and for every time that happens, you're gonna get a you know a cool band like whatever you know the first step or so, someone who's just like you know. Oh dude, that just nails it. You nailed that will nail it. Yeah, totally. It's like every, every couple of years you're going to have a band where it's just like, cool, man. Like that, the torch has been passed. You are now the, you know, pivotal youth crew, hardcore band of this era. And like, that's good, but there doesn't need to be, you know, the 7,000 other ripoff versions of it. Not at all. Yeah. Um, and so the, you know, as you started to, you know, uh, become, more involved in the scene and obviously playing a bunch of different bands, like when you started to, I guess, to like, when did you start to tour? Like, when did you start to experience that sort of lifestyle? I think I went on my first tour when I was 17. Okay. Um, I played in a, a band called bully, which was not to be confused with the current band. That's the current band, right, right. Called bully. Uh, <laughs> we were not big. We were not very good. Sure. Um, and, uh, that was, yeah, it was like my first tour. I booked it and, um, our singer like couldn't go on the tour and I played bass at the time. And so I've, swapped in and sang and then like we got back and kicked him out and then I was a singer and uh it was just the same thing where constantly I was just like all right when, when's the next tour like and that right. was when I just kind of infectiously like was like this is this is what I need to be doing like sure. if you tour then you become a big band and I was always hung on the idea of like being a big band or whatever right right and what, what did that uh, you know to to hit that on that because that was something I was going to ask you a little bit later was the um the the idea like because you've from what i know about you which is obviously very little but yeah. now i'm knowing more the like you're a really driven dude like you have these ideas and you want to bring them to fruition and like you know the idea of the intersection of art and commerce and being able to like you know be a big band like what did that at that particular time what did that like mean to you to me it meant escape like i would okay. if i was in a big band you know like like I remember when I was really, I don't know if I just have always wanted the world to be more binary than it is where I remember when I was really young, I was like, all right, well to be a sponsored skateboarder, like if you can kickflip, like you could probably get a sponsorship. Like just like, right. like really weird, like, like a lateral jumps. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, no, but that's kid. That's what I like to call kid logic. Yeah. You're like, if the, if you know, a to B equals C, like, I don't know if I've ever lost it though. Like, like, no, I, I still think about it. I, I think about the world in that way, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but obviously it fails every time. Sure. You know, where it's not, it's a variation of what you were talking about uh, of like, uh, okay. So a and a and B didn't really equal C, but right. I got a little closer to C, you know, like, right. But maybe so it equals D and that doesn't, it's not C, but D is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so, um, and I think that I just always like used that, like having a goal was always my way of like not having to be concerned with anything else. And so, I think I just let everything crop up and like just completely roll over into the idea of like, if I have something to work on, like I, I don't have to think about anything else. And, sure. and I know if I'm feeling down, I literally know the exit strategy is like, I just have to start and it's egotistical, I think, but like I just start thinking about the thing I'm working on or thinking about something that was successful recently that I did. And like, I feel better. Yeah. Like, literally that's like, that's how I deal with all of my problems is I just have something else to work on, you know, sure. which sometimes the problems come from the things you're working on. But like, I still know the like exit strategy out of like the way of feeling bad is like, I just have to 
have a goal. Right. You know? And so, and then kind of on the idea of the, you know, the art and commerce idea where it's just like, you know, once like money starts to become a thing that, you know, like, and when I say a thing, you know, when you start getting paid for shows where it's just like, oh wow, dude, like we got paid like $400 for the show. Like just having those ideas and then being able to, um, you know, not have the, the punk punk rock guilt that sometimes is associated with that where it's just like, oh, you're not allowed to like make money or whatever. You're not allowed to like talk about that. Um, walk me through that process with you. If that's something that's ever been, I mean, I, I've always desired to like, I'm like, Oh, like if I could pay rent off of band money, like that would be, that would be the best feeling. Like I would (laughs) be successful, you know? Um, I, so I don't know that I ever had it. Like I've always just wanted to, not that it's ever the foremost goal, because if it was, then I've been the biggest failure. Sure. Because uh, I don't make enough for <laughs> right, right, every right. month. But uh, you know, there has been times where I've been able to to like pay a little bit of my rent or you know all of my rent with band money, and that's like the the best feeling. And it's uh, I don't know. It's always equated success. Like it it mm-hmm. says like there's an interest here or something. Right. It's gratifying because um, I feel like everything is just making like a commodity out of something else. So, of course. Like, if you are a band that uh, like is that people find interesting, like people are making a commodity out of you by buying mm-hmm. your things, and then you make a commodity out of them by benefiting off of the money they give you. So, like to me, I've never had that like hang up of like, oh, like we can't make money because I'm punk. You know, of Whereas course. More so, I've been like, dang, I wish I made money, even though I'm punk. Right. People seem to not be paying me because I'm punk, which seems weird. <laughs> totally, I love I love that idea where it's just like the 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 mutually beneficial relationship that can happen when you know you are the creator of art and then the the consumers of your art pay you for the thing that you've worked to do like that you know that never should have been a problem but like no some- but for some reason hang on well and like now like we're doing I booked a tour for us spine uh, harm done and sex prisoner and I was like this was the first times where I was very clear about how much I wanted them to charge the promoters to charge for door. Cause I was like, this is a band from France is playing yep. a band that's flying in from the Midwest. Like I have to drive my van from LA to Seattle sure. to do this tour. Like we should have our costs covered, you know, like that's, and people are interested in it. So like, yeah. And if you're, if you don't want to pay $12 for a show, like don't show up to it. Totally. Like, or, you know, I probably would be fine with someone paying less if they needed to right but it's just like that same thing is like well we're putting like a ton of time and money and effort into this so i'm not ashamed to say like this is what i I'm believe requesting. this to cost yep 12 dollars. yep you know totally totally hey guys it's jack o'brien co-founder of crack.com and i host a twice daily news and culture podcast with the funniest person I know, Miles Gray. What an honor. Uh, it's what an true, honor. Miles. Please, tell, Please tell them more about how hilarious I am. Don't tell them about my background in politics as a political operative or anything like that. Just keep going on about the funny. I wasn't going to. Okay, that's fine. Guys, you can come get caught up on what is happening without feeling the life drain out of your soul at the Daily Zeitgeist. You can find us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free do you um i presume that's kind of all tied up into your own personality like you like dealing with the sort of business stuff like do you or do you like you know i mean because obviously you're doing a ton of video work as well and like you have to negotiate these prices with you know it's like I'm like terrible at it okay i'm terrible at it i like so they're basically like hey i'll pay you five grand for the video and you're like okay no well no, well that's kind of how video music videos work anyway. Absolutely. people say this is our budget and then you go okay how can i make something that is worth a shit for the amount of money <laughs> right, that you right, say? right 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 um 
but it's really funny because I like had to do some producing duties on this last music video I did, and I basically just gave every single person their full rate because I didn't. I view that that's what they're worth. I sure. made, I made. I actually went into my pocket on the music video versus <laughs> versus walking versus away walking with, away some, with yeah. any money. But I was like, I don't want to ask someone to work for less yeah, when they rate. view their their worth. So you know, like whatever. Yeah. Like, so do you, so I, I guess, so you, you deal with the business because that's what you have to I have to. Yeah. Okay. I was talking about it to a friend, uh, on the way over here too. Cause we we're talking about like booking agents and a lot of people always say to me like, Oh, have you ever thought about being a booking agent? And I'm like, N- I mean, I get asked about it, so I have to think about it, but no, sure. fuck no. Like I, one, the last thing I want to do is take money out of bands pockets that aren't my own, you right. know? And it's but just, you you are you are doing the work though yeah I know that but at the same time like, I understand but that's like that's not your angle that's not that's what you, not my angle I don't want to yeah. take money from bands like uh, and yeah I get asked about it sometimes I'm like no the last thing I want to do is be more of a businessman like I yeah, get, yeah yeah I get the business thing and I and I respect it but my goal is to handle less business to have more time to be creative right right that's the goal which sure I just had to book a tour yesterday so and I'm not a yeah. I'm not successful at handing off the business so far, but that's my goal. Yeah. It's extremely, uh, yeah, it's extremely hard when you, especially too, where it's like a lot of what you do as well is so, um, tied directly into you because obviously the band is centered around you. Yeah, like, your, your video, the, the video work you do, like obviously that's, it's a collaborative piece of work, but like at the end of the day, the buck stops there with you. Exactly. And, and that, and that's what the thing is. Like I'd rather pay my band members who are taking time to, to go on tour than to pay myself, you know, cause it's, it's, yeah. you know, I don't know. It, it, money means a different thing to everybody, I think. So yeah. to me, I just like, if I feel that people are putting themselves out there for me and my thing, like I definitely want to. Yeah. You want to take care sure of that before comp- you're. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Cause I get the ego boost, you know, but like they, right. Uh, whereas, you know, like they're our guitar player in RJC, Alex, he is there just as much as I am, you right. know, and, but like people only talk about me, you know? Sure. And so, uh, I definitely want to make sure that he gets compensated at every possible point. Right. Know? Of course. Of course. Yeah. Cause yeah, the, the, the attention doesn't come to him. It comes to you from that perspective. Yeah. 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 So I understand. Yeah. I understand that. So, um, so when, uh, you know, when regional justice center started and like, you know, you started to put your message out there and like, you, frankly, the, the hustle that I've been impressed with from the band has been the fact, I mean, you've obviously, you know, relentlessly toured and you've put yourself out there as much as possible, but then, um, you know, just how much press you've been able to garnish for. Yeah. I mean that, that my, my friend James Goodson, Goodson yeah, 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 James Goodson is, uh, is our, is the band's publicist, Perfect. essentially, which the least punk sentence possible probably, but <laughs> no, uh, hey, hey, man, every, every person's got a good PR person, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, he's, he's, I don't know. I've never worked with anyone else for yeah. PR really. Uh, great dude though. Yeah. But he, and it, and it grew out of, he's my friend he understood the band. Like I wouldn't go through anyone else, honestly. Like yep. I honestly, part of me says that we'll probably never be on a labor or anything because he is the person I want to handle us at every chance. Cause he knows how to talk about it in a sensitive way. He knows like I, I saw James like two or three days after my brother got arrested, you right. know, and he, before the band, before anything else, he knew about like how, terrible this situation was on my mental you know sure and he just understands everything uh, right about it so uh, he's he's the guy you know yeah he's the key Uh, the key that unlocked that luckily i think that 
I think we're just kind of in, in a little bit of a, a drought as far as a lot of interesting things going on. Not to diss or throw shade at anyone else, but no. it's just I think that a lot of people are just doing hardcore for hardcore, which is like a really cool thing. But like at the same time, it's not much for people to talk about. And right. So having something just that was about something else, I think people latch on to. And honestly, music journalists are not good at talking about music. So they want to talk about literally anything else besides but the music. music. Sure, sure. So when you give them something else, it actually gives them something they could put it into gets the a, It gets a narrative. Like, it gets the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Like how many times can you read the headline like, this band releases brutal new Yeah, song. totally. Oh, so over the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. Like, you know, there's not enough. I would actually be really interested in really musically, uh, like speaking in musical terms about music. Like, I think sure. that'd be so cool. But it, the, the market for it would be terrible. <laughs> no, I would yeah. love if someone was like, Regional Just Center puts out a new song, 3-4 Blast, into a 4-4 four, four break, and then there's a part that makes no sense. I counted it, it's 9-4. Right. And then it's just like, like I would love that. That would be hilarious. Total. Pure mathematical breakdown. Yeah, yeah, just like, yeah, like, oh, they, their use of F-sharp, I really love, like, F and F-sharp. Like, totally. It's very, very reminiscent of the uh, old Chicago band, MK Ultra. Like, yeah, 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 yeah just, yeah. <laughs> they'd be able to, like, yeah, that, that would be a very, very niche genre of but, yeah. journalism. Uh, but, like, music journalism, I think by nature has to be shallow because it has to reach the as most many people, people as possible, yeah. you know, totally. so, so no diss on that either. No, no, no. They obviously do us well. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you understand the symbiotic relationship that happens there. And it's like when, um, when people look at a like a completely independent hardcore band and is like, Oh wow. Like, you know, they're covered very widely and people know about the band because of the press coverage. It's just like, Oh yeah, that's cool because it's better than, you know, whatever bands, A, B and C on, you know, bands, A, B and C, you know, hardcore label or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty interesting. Um, why did you move from Seattle to LA just to be closer to the sort of film scene? Yeah, as yeah, it were? Just chasing, chasing film goals, which was instantly seemed to work in my favor as, as far as I can tell, it was like a, a crazy, symbiotic relationship where I moved in the night. How long, how long have you been, stuff. how long have you been down here now? I moved down in June. Which okay. was actually like, like 10, 15 days before our LP came out. And so it was like the, the craziest I instantly time went back out. You know, I haven't, I haven't sure. been here much. Um, sure. but, uh, but yeah, it's, I love LA. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's, I mean, it's, it's especially too, when you are, uh, you have the, the idea to do something, you know, and obviously you came down here to pursue, film and pursue, you know, video work and everything else from that perspective. So when you tie it to something like that, it's, uh, it's exciting to feel like you're part of uh, a larger community, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I mean, like I, I, I've kind of talked about this a little bit is like, Oh, another thing was not being connected. I really don't want to be connected to the community right now. Which sure. Like I definitely want to meet more people doing what I want to be doing, but it's like at the same time, like I don't want to be like, I don't want to be in anyone's business, you know, like, literally like when it's like a project is happening, that's when I want to be yep. in, in a community like, but otherwise I want to be as disconnected as possible. You know? Sure. Sure. So, but that's, it's trying to navigate that still with right, like the, the meeting balance. new people and then not, um, not getting tangled up in anyone else's like lives or politics, you know? Like, right. Sure. <laughs> that's the goal. Um, and then also the fact that you, you know, Seattle, New gods is a band that you like, do you still say you play with them? Is that still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We did a tour with, uh, with drug church, drug church and gouge away in the, I don't know what month that was that yeah, November okay. or something. I think. Sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. It was right after things, right after Thanksgiving, we did a tour with, with gouge away and, and drug church. Yeah. Right. Um, is it? And so that, uh, 
that band has always been, you know, really weird in the sense of like <laughs> it's existed. I mean, you know, I mean, technically that band started like what, 2014 to the, I don't know. I think like, it's 2013. Yeah. 2013. Yeah. So it's, I just remember it's one of those things where it's like, there are certain bands that kind of exist in the scene and it's not to say that they, you know, you guys have never played outside the, the city, like yeah, yeah. you've toured, but like it just always seems where it's like, Oh yeah. when there's a big local gig in the Pacific Northwest, like of course, Seattle new gods will be yeah. playing that show. We, I mean, that was a band where, um, where we actually had the hustle for a period of time and we recorded an LP and we ended up just tripping over ourselves constantly and constantly and never getting that momentum. And, uh, we ended up actually getting a record deal uh, through a label that I like a lot and then, um, ended up self imploding and we, the label was nice enough to terminate our contract. I was just, I was very forthcoming with them. It was like, yeah. listen, I don't think we have what it takes right now. Like we, who did you guys sign with them that you were supposed to put, or are, you, are you not allowed to say that? I mean, I don't think they'd care. We signed with 6131. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, and, uh, oh, that's right. I think I, I vaguely, yeah, I remember. I'm sure, Joe, I'm sure, Joe, I'm sure Joey, 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 it was like these fucking idiots. No, I don't, I don't ever remember him saying anything negative, but I just, I remember it was one of those things. I think I remember him talking to me about uh, not the scenario, but just yeah. being like, Oh, we're working with this band. But then it, I didn't hear anything. After yeah, that. yeah. So anyways, yeah. Yeah. And so we self imploded and that was a lot of just like personal resentment stuff and not, I, I feel like, um, when you start playing in bands, you're so young and you don't know how to treat other people. And, yeah. uh, and that was just this constant rolling thing. Like, uh, Che who plays in RJC still currently him and I did this band called drug culture. And then that rolled right into doing this to Seattle's new gods. And it was this thing where, you know, there's all these like, Oh, I didn't like the cover art on that. And then like that builds into a resentment about this over sure. here. And then like, don't bring that up again a year later. Yeah. Well, no, the problem was that nobody was bringing things up and oh, it would be the, these silent resentments. And I would dislike them for this. And you know, I just was this, you, we didn't know how to treat each other. And, right. and it was this thing where we constantly wanted to be a band band. We wanted to go for it. We wanted to like sure. tour constantly and, and do all these things, but we were waiting for this LP to come out. And then, we finally had the like groundwork for that to happen. And then we argue about art and then it just was this constant thing. And then finally it just blew up into this really big text message, like huge blow argument where I was like, fuck these fools. I'm, I quit. Uh, it was our singer and I, that just got in a huge argument. And, um, and then, I mean, over time we, we've somewhat repaired it and now are touring again and we, sure. we release that LP ourselves, but I mean, it's just like, yes, yeah, it, it sucks. Cause they hear like, yeah, it's always like this, like hanging thing, like totally new guys. But cause like to us, it was like, we wanted to be the, the band, you know? Right. Of course. But we just yeah, didn't like, know how to treat each other. We didn't know how to treat ourselves. And we, it's the story. It's the story of lost it. <laughs> totally. It's the story of so many bands where it's like that, that just that idea of because of the, the youthful ignorance, which usually leads you to a position to be that band where it's just like, Oh yeah, we're too yeah. stupid to like think of anything else yeah. or not think of anything else, but like, you know, have the concerns that get placed upon you by society or whatever. It's just like, Oh yeah, let's do it, man. Like yeah, we're in yeah. early twenties, whatever. Um, but yeah, but that's, yeah, you just always end up getting in your own way from that perspective. Definitely. And, and it's just like, everyone's dealing with their own thing all the time. And, and so like it crops up in different ways. And yeah. for me, like the bossiness is like my way of getting through life. And that's not for everybody. That's not what everyone wants. You know, not everyone wants a leader. And I think that that was the, our biggest communication breakdown was 
I think they wanted more of a democracy thing. And I, and it'd be like a lot of time you'd be like, Oh, what do you guys think of this thing? And then it'd be like, I don't know. I don't like it or whatever. And it's like, all right, well, what else we got? Exactly. And then nothing. And then it's like, all right, well, we got to trudge on. And which obviously over time that happens so many times and it's like people get fed up, you know, I can definitely see, I think the band, that band specifically was fed up with me as like the controlling dickhead. Sure. And I think that we're also fed up with other members of the band. We're just getting on each other's nerves, you know? So yeah, it happens. Trying definitely after that, like that was like kind of a cleansing, like that happened. And then I fully went in on RJC and like, Right. I think I'm so much more healthy at communicating now and I'm trying to like work on that and know how to like properly be in a band with other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, everybody has to learn that, uh, the collaborative nature of working with people. Cause it's like, you're always going to have the one or two people in the band that are like pushing it forward to get out of the garage or whatever, you know, yeah, using, yeah. using that euphemism where it's like, yeah, like people can have problems with the, the, the methods and of trying to get out of the garage. But then you, like you said, you do pose that question where you're just like, okay, well, if you don't like us pulling the car out of the garage that way, like how else can we pull the car out of the garage? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, I, I've, I've had a lot of bands that I consider to be like kind of false starts of like, Oh, this was the band that was going to be the band. Sure. And then it didn't end up happening. And a lot of the time, honestly, control, control freak dickhead Ian says, yeah, like, uh, well, I laid out plan that was A plus B equals C. Totally. And then you guys wanted to do A. You got halfway through A, and then you're kind of like, oh, what if we did? What if we did a different letter for a little bit? And then obviously that was like, well, that that wasn't the plan. So you can't be mad at me when it turns out different than the plan I laid. Out, <laughs> right. Right. You know? Totally. And so the RJC is the first band where I was like, this is the plan. Totally. And then we did the plan. I got you know? I got the five year vision or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that like, and I'm like. Yeah, and I'm kind of like a little bit motioning to the to the my former members to be like, see, see? what happens when you follow the plan. Totally, <laughs> like totally. Not that we're some fucking big successful band or anything, but no. But you can point. You're just like, well, like there's there's been attention given. Like yeah, this yeah, is yeah. you know there's seems- there's trajectory where other everything is like kind of like stall out, go stall out. Kinda, <laughs> right, stall out, right, right. That's funny. Um, so two last things I want to hit on was the um, kind of on on that same lines, the idea of what you know, success can mean within the context of, you know, what, uh, what ostensibly is a very small, uh, there's no way that uh, regional justice center obviously will go on tour with uh, rise against. Yeah. I mean, you can potentially like mm-hmm. argue that that could make sense in a world. Um, just as far as like the, the, uh, philosophical underpinnings of both of those bands or whatever. But, um, you know, to you, is it just one of those things where it's like, Oh, being able to keep this band existing, then your brother gets out, is able to join the band. And like, you know, do, do you have, is, is that kind of the, your vision moving forward? My vision more so, I know when the band will end and that's, that's important to me to, to view it as like a complete prod, like a complete thing unto itself. You Got know, it. like I don't want RJC to be forever. I think that'd sure. be boring. I sure. think that us doing like so many records would be boring and, I, and I constantly am kind of like, Oh, I wonder if I'll even be able to write another good song. Sure. Uh, even though I like listen, re-listened to like through everything we've recorded recently, I was kind of like, Oh, I think these are getting better. Yeah. And, but I was like, it's not going to be that way forever. And so I kind of have my like strategy of how I want it to, to end. And sure. that's, that's, I think, uh, tastefully ending is, is my goal. That's good. Uh, more so than anything else. I mean, obviously, I would love to sell more records and be a bigger band and tour with more bands I like, uh, which I think that we will do those things. But 
in the end, like I just want to end on my own terms and not be like, oh, I think it's a people are noticeably not interested in us now. Like we should leave. You yeah. Know? Here's our 10 year anniversary tour. Yeah. No, no. It once. <laughs> Uh, RJC will play a last show and it will not be announced as its last show. And then we'll just quietly go away. That's perfect. That that's, I, that's my goal. <laughs> I love that. So if you see us play a, a raging show with like a lot of our friends, be very suspicious. <laughs> be cautious. Be like, <laughs> wait a minute. This may be the last show slash not last show. Yeah. I like, I, I, I do think that there is something that is so, um, you know, you, you see it in so many bands within the context of hardcore where it's like, you release two LPs and then you're done, you know, and like that's, uh, you know, that's either a function of the fact that the band, you know, toured so hard over those couple years or whatever. Mm. But it's like when, it, when, when you have the ability to sort of consciously, not consciously plan, but like deliberately plan where it's just like, oh yes, like I want this to end on not, not a, not a high note, but I want to end, like you said, on your own terms. Like that's a, that's a rare thing to, uh, I guess, not control, but have that vision for. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, a lot of people don't have the self-awareness to be like, Oh, like this isn't going to be this timeless thing, you know? Yeah. Whereas I know that this isn't a time. I mean, one, we don't even have the like nature of being like the popular style of hardcore currently. Right. But if it came around, then I would feel like, Oh shit, we need to break up now because eventually we're going to seem washed up because people will stop doing this style. Like luckily we're on the bottom right of the pile currently as far as nobody in like hardcore hardcore playing the same style as us totally um which i think will which is good because it won't age us you know like you can't listen to the rjc record and be like this came out in yeah here's a specific year, 2015 you know? record yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that sucks and it makes it really hard to revisit records that are gratifying to listen to you right because you associate it too much with the time that it came out and the totally. other bands around it so i really want to keep that going so if it be if it gets popular like I won't let it affect the band. Like if, if the style like blast beat hardcore right. gets popular, I will kind of like be biting my teeth and being like, fuck, I hope this Ooh. doesn't like tie us in with anything. Like I don't want to be tied in with anything at all. Sure. Sure. You want to be the, the weird black sheep always. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I think should be the nature of hardcore, which is weird that more people aren't trying to be the, the black sheep, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's always that, uh, assimilation that happens, especially when you see, you know, all your friends doing one thing and it's kind of, you know, it, you know it's like, Oh, well yeah, we can do do a band that kind of sounds like that or whatever. And, yeah, yeah. I, I played in, uh, like three of like 25 youth crew bands from sure. uh, Seattle. So I know that yeah, the, the non black sheep feeling isn't, isn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Um, the last thing I want to handle was the, the, your, you know, we briefly talked about at the beginning, but just like your love of film and obviously the, uh, your pursuit of that passion, obviously coming down here and, um, you know, directing music videos and stuff like that. Um, is, is, is the vision where you're just like, yeah, like, yes, I want to become a director. Yes. I want to become a DP. Like what's the, uh, what's the vision for that? Uh, definitely director. It's really funny. I have, I've shot most of my own videos, uh, uh-huh. which, and it's, I think that it's really funny because people ask me a lot, like, do you want like, Oh, so you want to be a DP? I'm like, no, what? No. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the last thing I want. Dude, that's that, 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 that person's like the secret weapon for every single director. Well, I know, but that's not what I'm trying sure, to that's do. The, you're like, that's not what I if want. You, yeah. If you, if you know anything about me, you know, I'm a control freak, which means that's that, true. That like, would not DP does not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fair um, enough. And so, uh, you know, that the goal is to, is to direct movies, uh, in time and, and, and write as well. But like, I'm not that far along on that front. Like sure. I direct all the music videos that I do and, um, it's just like still slowly like learning 
I still like, I'm very new at this. And so, uh, just trying to learn and get better at it before I like sink a lot of money into one thing, you know, I got a good thing going where like my projects are funded by labels and I don't have to worry about too much. Uh, sure, sure. But eventually I'm going to probably find a way to put a lot of money into one of my, like, a project that's on Passion no projects. one else's sure no one else's shoulders and that'll be when I'm like know that I'm ready you know right right and so I mean I guess in well in closing the uh this wasn't something I was going to originally ask but you've mentioned on more than one occasion we're just like you know you control freak and like do you but people like generally speaking, I haven't heard people being like oh dude Ian's like the fucking worst dude like he's he's tough to hang with or it's like so how, how does that sort of like how have you been able to kind of live in those worlds where it's like Ian, like cool dude, but like, just don't be in a band with him or whatever. Like, I, I mean, I think that was the conversation okay. at one point. I think that, uh, I did, I did, I think around the time that I did a bunch of youth crew bands, honestly was, I think there are people that have hard feelings about me being a control freak or feeling like the band didn't do the things they wanted to do, but they did the things I wanted to do. Like, I think there are those people that say like, that would say don't be in a band with Got with Ian. And I think that that's a fair thing to say. And I think it's like about what your expectations are. You know, um, if you want to do a band that's going to do not as not be like a real, like I don't know how to do a project and not have it be trying to make it the most real thing possible. You know, sure. I'm going to do a band. I want it to do the I want real to tour. Thing. I want sure. it to put out records. I want to like have it be a thing that people remember. Um, and I think not everyone's willing to do what it takes to do that. And so I think over time I've just have weeded through a bunch of people that I didn't deal with. Yeah. And, uh, I just think that I, maybe I hope that I learned the the lesson of how to tastefully go about being a control freak. Right. Um, earlier in life than it, than currently. I think I, I think I've got a good hang on it now. Sure. As far as not being a dickhead, which is like mainly about the fact that I know not to do other people's projects. That's a huge thing. You can't take someone else's project and be a control freak. Right, and make it your own. Which is something that I used to do. Sure, sure. And obviously that's a clear way to rub someone the wrong way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so it's just about the learning your your way to treat other people, which is like the new God's problem of like, I didn't, I definitely didn't know how to treat other people. Like the other people in the band didn't know how to treat everyone else either. And so it was like that push and pull. And I'm sure that specifically around the time that we terminated that contract and like yeah. didn't go through with becoming the band band we wanted to be. I'm sure that everyone in the band was like, man, fuck Ian. Like, right. Like it that, imploded because of him, that yeah, jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I know I, I I'm, I'm positive that the conversation has steered to that way for, for some people. And sure. it's really funny cause I, I have let it like hurt my feelings in the past. Yeah. And I'm well, like, dude, I mean, that's it. I don't care how like, you know, grizzled of a person that you are. It's like that, that sort of, you know, even if you feel like, you know, your vision is right. And like, you know, these dum dums didn't not like you, I'm just putting words yeah. in your mouth, but like these people didn't follow along. Like that's still, it's going to hurt. Like, I don't care how tough you are. Yeah. I mean, to me it's about like wondering, feeling like, um, if someone has me wrong, you know, oh, like, sure, like sure. I, I, to me, like, because I see the, the, the causes of why I do things. I'm like, no, wait, what? Like, I'm not that way, which like, right. Is not removing your, like, that's just not being self-aware. Cause you're not sure. thinking about the way that it 
it uh, feels and like on the receiving end of yeah, the exactly. thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. But to me, it's just like, well, like I took the band and tried to do something with it, you know, like totally. Whereas the people in the band are like, well, this is our band and we <laughs> like didn't want to do that. You know? <laughs> totally. Like, well, we didn't, Ian, we didn't ask for your input there, but you just gave it anyways or whatever. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. But I'm like, well, uh, don't ask me to do a band if you don't. Sure, want to sure. Things, you know? Yeah, you're like so. now. Yeah, now, you, like you said, you were more uh, aware of what you can you can contribute to a situation. Well, and and it, yeah, like I got asked to do a band with some people that I look up to recently, and I know my position in that band is to do the one thing that you were asked that to I'm do. asked to do, and nothing else. I'm not going to give a single bit of input unless asked. You know. Um, about it because that's not my place. Like I'm, I'm in, I'm in that band with bigger control freaks than myself. Sure. So like, it's just knowing you're like the pecking it's order, a pecking order and pecking yeah. order sounds rude. No, no, referring but referring to other people. I'm okay with putting myself in a pecking order totally. but to be like where you're at the totem to, to, pole to, to right. say, to say it about previous bands feels really rude. So I, I no, 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 I, I, I am putting words in your mouth, but no, like, no, yes. I got you. Yeah. But that, that, that notion of just like, well, I, I am literally showing up to uh, do what I am asked to do. And I know and I have signed up for that and yeah, I have exactly. agreed to that. Yeah. Uh, Mixon, who you had on the show yes. previously, like I, I DP'd a short of his. Okay. And, um, you know, I, in my head, I'm directing the whole time. Sure. But I know not to say anything. Yeah, you know, totally. like, so it's his, it's his film and not mine. And so that's what that's you his, have in the end. But exactly. if I was like, on set as a DB, like, uh, I think you should have them say it like, like a little bit like this, right? You know, like uh, that's not my place. Like, totally. You, so you just like, you know, your place in the project, which a film set is a cool way of knowing, you know what everyone's doing. Yeah. Sometimes people get pulled in different departments, but right. uh, like, you know, the, what your role is the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. It's very clear. It's very clear. Well, dude, this has been awesome. Thank you very much for hanging out. Yeah, thank you for having me. No, it was unexpected. I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad I surprised you. Oh yeah. Thank you, Ian. I don't know why I decided to do the, the, uh, Kool-Aid man bursting through the, uh, the wall. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sometimes these things just come to my mind and it's like, I, I don't, I don't even know where they come from, but anyways, thank you, Ian. I appreciate you coming over and doing this interview. It was uh, super enlightening and really fun for me. And, uh, next week will be, uh, me publishing in Japan. I I'm looking forward to hopefully getting some, some solid internet over there. <laughs> But uh, we have Cody Willis, who plays is the drummer in Big Business. He also is the drummer in Murder City Devils. And uh, we also have a little mini interview with uh, a friend of mine, Amen Sala, from a band called Holy Pinto. So it'll be a double duty. So it'll be a nice, nice, thick and long episode. Thick, as the kids say. T-H-I-C-C, right? Isn't that, isn't that how you do it? <laughs> Anyways, that is next week. And uh, yeah, thank you for, for listening. Please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to rewatch the series one episode at a time, and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.